Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Hello, I'm George Cup, And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast. So... It's not a live broadcast, so please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. To be discussed with Kupfer, a show that proves that different political opinions don't have to end in feuds and the breakdown of friendships. My name is George Cup, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political opposite, Callum Gurr. Good evening, everybody. That's right, George is a hardline Brexiteer and true blue Conservative, whereas I'm a Lib Dem and Ramona. But despite these different standpoints, we are still good friends. Tonight we'll be asking. Was Westminster correct to impose equal marriage on Northern Ireland? What should Labour's next action be to tackle its perceived anti-Semitism epidemic? And lastly, do you prefer hot or cold? Uh, Sorry, that's not correct. Uh, Lastly, we are asking uh, what's better, pub or the nightclub or neither? Uh, with each of these discussions being accompanied by polls which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen 
and these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week we asked you to send us in your opinions on this question. Should we hold to account historical figures based upon today's values? And you guys, as always, have been sending us in lots of different fascinating responses. So let's kick off with the first one from Charlotte. And she says, I think it's wrong to hold people to account based on today's values because values in society change. For example, there were certain things you could say on TV shows in the 90s, which nowadays wouldn't be acceptable. You see all those clips from shows like The Simpsons or even Friends that now you wouldn't be allowed to show on TV. But society was different then. I don't think it's right to ban a show or hold someone to account for something they did 20 years ago. Just just because today, 20 years after they did that thing, society has changed. Society has decided that what they did isn't right anymore. Callum, your thoughts? Yeah, no, I completely agree with Charlotte there. I mean, with with the um, examples of the TV shows that she's given now, I mean, they've obviously got um, many things in there that under today's standards we would say is wrong. So The Simpsons, um, Apu um, is not voiced by an Asian actor and falls very much in line with many Asian stereotypes. Yeah. Or something like Friends as well. You you would consider that is transphobic, and and there's also some some homophobic stuff in there as well. But it is transphobic in its depiction of uh, Chan Chanda's dad, uh, who evidently does identify uh, as a woman, uh, or at least we we would probably suggest that 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 would be the kind of natural progression of her story. Um, so. Uh, under those circumstances, obviously, you could you could make the case that uh, that we would hold these um, shows to account and maybe not show them because of the facts that they go they steer into stereotypes or they're transphobic or homophobic or, or things like this. And and I think that we should always treat these shows with the kind of maddening glass of of of, of what uh, our values are today. Um, and we, we should always be willing to call out when something is wrong and doesn't hold up with, with what we perceive to be right. But I don't think that we should necessarily then be looking to completely stop showing these shows or, or things like that. I think we just need to have a, a good awareness of our own society's values and, and make sure that we can kind of show these shows sometimes as, as evidence of how far we've come as well. And, and the fact that society changes and that there is a kind of moral evolution, I suppose. Uh, what do you think, George? Well, that, was, that was very nicely put, Callum. <laughs> uh, um, I think uh, Charlotte makes a very good point here. And I think when, when we look at it on like a, a grand concept in terms of if we looked at a, a individual political figure or a historical figure um, that maybe there's something wrong, then, yeah, maybe it would be correct to judge them on today's values. But if we look at genres in terms of TV shows, films that were um, produced and written in a different time then i don't think it's it's as right of us to criticize those people in terms of the because they, they haven't as such made a decision that has affected people around them um and, and i think these tv shows look we are um we are i think 
a lot of us as a society, we are mature enough and we understand where things are wrong and where things cross the line and where things are funny. Um, and yes, there are elements of things that were written into it that are um, homophobic or, or um, racist and things like that. But I, I still think that if we have that understanding and we can move forward from that, then there isn't anything wrong with it. And I, and I am pretty sure there is still material being written today that is, that highlights um, as much homophobic material as friends did or as much racist material as the Simpsons does. Um, so I, I do, I don't think as such that we are seeing newly produced shows today that are um, completely PC and that we don't see anything of that that in there because that's not the real world unfortunately um and I think sometimes in terms of the friends which is a comedy aspect you have to cross the line of it's okay to have a laugh about some things um and not to always be so serious yeah yeah no I mean uh, I I do tend to agree with you there, George. Uh, moving on to the next opinion from Leah. Leah said, I do think we need to hold people uh, to account based on today's values and for one very clear reason. The things that we deem to be wrong today have always been wrong. Racism was always wrong. Sexual assault was always wrong. Keeping slaves was always wrong. You name it, it was always wrong. It's just that the victims didn't have a platform to hold their perpetrators to account for what they were doing. It isn't the case that one day everybody woke up and changed their morals. It's that you aren't allowed to do these things anymore because the people impacted most by it can now do do something about it if you do. So even though you may have been able to get away with horrible things historically does not make them right. What do you think about that, George? Well, I think, Leah, they're kind of um, what a fantastic message that was, to be honest. Um, and I think it's a really clear message as well. And I and I do agree with um, elements of what she's saying. I, I really do. I think no matter how far we look back in history, whether it's slavery or sexual assault and whether it was uh, to say, oh, well, it was all right back then. I don't ever think that is a good enough excuse when yeah. as i kind of highlighted earlier um when it's on something like a tv show and it's not directly effective affecting anyone then i think you can kind of get away with it and we shouldn't judge it but when there is an individual actually directly affecting someone directly abusing someone whether it's emotionally or physically um it it shouldn't it shouldn't happen. And and there is no argument for anyone, I don't believe, to turn around and say, Oh, well, what it was it was twenty years ago. It was it was okay to do that then. Well, no. The the morals of how we are haven't changed. I'm sure people still felt comfortable back then, but as Leah rightly says, they those people that didn't feel comfortable didn't have the platform or the ability to stand up against um those that were committing committing those hate crimes as such. And they, they are hate crimes. Um yeah. And so I think it is right to be able to to judge and, and hold account political figures of, of what um, they have done. But where, and I know Leah hasn't mentioned it, but I do want to say it, where I do sometimes find a small problem is when people have passed away and then we see these stories come out about them. Um, I, I sometimes, and I'm not saying that they're not true, but I'm saying that I wish that they had come out for before and I know it's sometimes hard for the victims to do that but because then we could have heard it from the um suspects story as well um just to see the two sides but but yeah I, I do definitely 
agree with what Lee was saying there. What, what do you think? Um, I, I, I do agree with Leah to an extent in that, I, of course, yeah, the things that we deem to be wrong today have always been wrong. But I think that it kind of implies then that, that we've reached the, the end of, and I'm going to keep going with this as, as the way to term it, with our, our moral evolution. Um, I, I think that... If, if we say that what we deem wrong today mm. has always been wrong, mm. then does that then mean that anything that we don't think of as wrong today, we, we can't then um, later in the line say, actually, that was wrong, if, if that makes sense. Um, and and I, I think that we do need to accept that morals and, and what we consider right and wrong is an ever-changing thing um and so so, you know something that we might consider wrong today or 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 rather we don't consider wrong today might then be considered wrong by our kids or our grandkids generation um and and then i think based upon that leah and and me and you george we we might end up actually wanting to to say well times were different and we had different morals rather than allowing our grandkids to hold us to account to an extent um uh, i mean it obviously depends upon what kind of thing we're talking about but i i think if we look at a fairly recent example the um, being transphobic example um i i think that uh, obviously there have actually been many trans people throughout history but it's only something that's really got a lot of attention very very recently so i think to then hold people to account for being uh, transphobic in, in TV shows or or even to a certain extent in history, or at least turning a blind eye to these kind of things, I think wouldn't necessarily be correct to do because the values were slightly different then, even if we know well and truly that that is wrong now. But those, those are our standards. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely, kind of. And I think you've given a really, really good explanation there. Um, right. OK, so remember, we will be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show. So make sure you're ready for that, for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show. Um, we'll be back very, very soon. <laughs> And welcome back to To Be Discussed. Time to move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we are asking, was Westminster correct to impose equal marriage on Northern Ireland? So MPs held a landmark vote this week that paves the way to legalise same-sex marriage in Northern Ireland. The vote means Westminster will be compelled to legalise same-sex marriage in the province if a devolved government is not formed by the 21st of October this year. The decision to bypass the dissolved Northern Irish government and impose equal marriage on Northern Ireland through Westminster has caused controversy. DUP MP Sir Geoffrey Donaldson criticised the vote, stating the DUP believe the purpose of devolution is to allow the different parts of the UK to make laws that are appropriate for that part of the country. Liberal Democrat MP Leila Moran responded rather differently, saying... 
There are so many things to criticise about this parliament, but finally we are witnessing progress. George, where do you stand on this? Is this an example of progress or was it wrong for Westminster to impose equal marriage on Northern Ireland? Look, I think we live in a 21st century country and no matter who you love, um, uh, children stand in the way on wanting to get married and wanting to have a family. And I think it is wrong that any country would stand against that. So I stand by our government that voted to ensure that um, equal marriage um, happened in Northern Ireland. And, and, I, and I think it, it, it is a... It is a good thing to happen. You know, why Why shouldn't we see it happen? And I mean, yes, I know there are those that are saying that it isn't what the Northern Ireland want and um, due to their Catholic heritage, that it's, it's against their religion and so on and so forth. But I'm sorry, we are in a multicultured um, country and union and we should be accepting people from all backgrounds and with all beliefs, with open arms. And I think this is a step into into that um corridor um what do you think though kind of do you are, are you supportive of um our government in what what has happened yes i i absolutely am yeah i mean um i think firstly that the the kind of argument that that the devolved administration should be handling this kind of issue i i, I think is completely ludicrous because this is this is a human rights issue i think um, you know it's it's the right for people to get married that that's effectively what this is and um, so I, I don't see why devolved administration should be having a say uh, a say in that because ultimately then what what's the point of having a united kingdom um and and i think um it also brings into the the uh, abortion vote that happens this week as well and um the legalization yeah. or, or the or the expansion of the rights for abortion um in Northern Ireland as well. Again, I think that's a that's a human rights issue. Um, that's that's giving um, women a choice um, over over what they want to do with their body, um, and and ultimately that that's something we should be supportive of. Um, and and I think kind of coming back, of course, to the equal marriage, which is what this question um, is about. Um, they. Um, of course, the the Catholics and the, the the more Christians, traditional Christians within Northern Ireland, say, "Oh, this is not what we want." Um, yeah. Same-sex marriage. Well, wake wake up and smell the coffee. It's not for you, anyway. Well, uh, I mean, the reason why we are legalizing same-sex marriage is so that same-sex couples can get married, and they're the people that want this, and they're, they're the people that we're legislating for in this. Um, so, so I think, ultimately, I, I, I'm completely supportive of what Westminster has done here. Yeah. Um, and, you, and, no, carry on, George. Do you think, and as much as this is a positive thing, and I think we are right to try and promote um, what our government has done, but all the same, um, I think as a conservative and unionist party, I believe in the union and I, and I think there is strength in the union. Do you think that there is a possibility that um, by government taking this step and um, putting this vote forward and passing it, do you think there is now threat of the union splitting, not just in Scotland, but now it is 
um, the snowball is gaining snow in Northern Ireland to become independent? Um, I mean, it will help a, a few people, I suppose. Although I, I think ultimately the main the main opposition that there was to same-sex marriage in, in Northern Ireland was from the more unionist parties anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I think it was uh, from the DUP particularly. Um, so I'm not sure that it's a really a massive weapon in, in the armory, no more than what kind of Brexit will, will be a weapon for them anyway, for, for those that maybe seek reunification of Ireland. I mean, I think realistically that they're, they're the options for Northern Ireland stay as part of the United Kingdom or reunify with, with Ireland because I, I don't think it's really that feasible for them to be a completely you know, independent country to the same extent as what you could argue it's it's feasible for Scotland. But um, I, I mean, I think obviously uh, this vote could be used, although I don't think it will be. It could potentially be used actually by uh, Scottish uh, independence campaigners to kind of say, well, look, Westminster opposing things on um, imposing things rather on um, the devolved administrations. This is why we need our own. Um, or, or our independence rather um, but I, I think that's highly unlikely because of the fact that it's generally universally accepted that same-sex marriage is something that we should um, be legislating for yeah yeah, um, yeah. I mean I, I think I think it's um, quite clear to me that uh, if, if Scotland were, or Scottish campaigners um, that want independence were to use this argument, it would be quite, um, I think it would quickly turn against them with the fact that this is something positive. It's not like we've um, imposed more taxes upon them that they don't want to pay. This is something that is going to help the people of Northern Ireland. Um, and I think in that way, I, I, I I don't. I hope that Scotland independent campaigners won't be using this against um or force with the union um, in fact but uh, do you think that we will um we can slowly see the uk become the capital of accepting um gay rights and and gay relationships and do you think we are taking enough steps in ensuring that we are open to uh, people's beliefs when it comes to gay marriage um i think that we are yes one of the kind of world leaders in in kind of lgb equality certainly uh, and i think compared to um certain nations which are more um religious than than what i'd say our country is nowadays or at least more dogmatically religious um mm. I, I do think we are very strong in in accepting um gay relationships and, and lesbian relationships so on um but I, I i mean i don't think we should pat ourselves on the back too much because obviously there, there's still uh, a fight to be had as yeah. such i mean george just a question obviously because this uh this legalization process has has not actually been officially confirmed it's only if uh, Northern Ireland doesn't manage to get a, a devolved um, government by the 21st of October this year. Do, so do you think that it's likely they will get a devolved administration? And, and then do you think it's likely then that that government will come in and say, well, actually, no, we're not legalising same-sex marriage. So 
Uh, so actually, do you think the champagne should be on ice on this one? I think, yeah, when, when, when we look at it in, in uh, detail, we have to make sure that we are, uh, aren't celebrating too early. And you are in quite right in saying that, that this was put on um, promised ground, essentially. And I do think there is the chance of there being um, the devolved government. But I, I, I think it's in their best interest to ensure that this goes through. Um, because it's 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 good for everyone it's not just as i I go back to my point earlier this isn't just about um helping just i don't know normal um it's not just about being uh uh, like a tax or anything it is about helping people and making sure that they are being um being made equal and and standing with one another so i think no matter what happens around it it would be a benefit of the northern ireland uh, government to make sure this this is this is introduced but do you, do you think that this is under threat then um uh, i think it, it is under threat slightly um from the fact that dup obviously are very adamantly opposed to this uh, and same with the abortion bill as well they're quite opposed to that um so, so I do think there is a slight threat because of the way that governments had to be formed in Northern Ireland. So you have to have a unionist and a uh, uh, pro-reunification uh, party um, I- involved in, in a government in Northern Ireland. So because of that, there is always a natural threat there to, to these kind of things. But given how long it has been since uh, Northern Ireland has had a devolved administration i i don't think that it's likely that they will get one by the 21st october so then it means that when they do eventually get a new government they if they wish to make sure that same-sex um, couples can't get married in northern Ireland, then they will actually have to properly um overturn this law and, and change the law back um and i think once it's happened. I, I can't see that they they will be able to turn it back over, or at least I hope they won't. And and I think never this um, the legalisation of same sex marriage in Northern Ireland is an inevitability anyway, eventually, just because of the way people's attitudes are changing. Um, yeah. So I think they would be wise to to just kind of accept that that this vote has happened now. But we will see what happens. Absolutely. Right then, time to move on to our second song break of this evening. But remember to vote on this poll. Was Westminster correct to impose equal marriage on Northern Ireland? And you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back very soon. Welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before the break, we asked the question, was Westminster correct to impose equal marriage on Northern Ireland? And you guys have been voting away. So 82% of you have said, yes, Westminster was correct, compared to 18% of you that have said, no, they weren't. George, that's not a particularly surprising result, is it? Well, I, I was expecting no to be a lot lower than that, if I'm honest. Right. Um, I Given our, um, our audience and the the generations of our audience i i thought it would be lower than that but 
I, I, I am wrong, obviously. Yeah, I mean, but it's possibly to do slightly with the way we worded the question. Obviously, it was because of the kind of suggestion that, or, or the perception we had that uh, obviously that yes would come out sky high on top. I think we did kind of load, load the question a bit so that it, it favoured the no answer a little bit more. Yeah, very good point. Right, OK, let's move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we're asking the question, what should Labour's next action be to tackle its perceived anti-Semitism epidemic? So last week, Parama re- revealed claims from a number of former party officials that some of Jeremy Corbyn's closest allies tried to interfere in disciplinary processes involving allegations of anti-Semitism. Labour's dispute team is supposed to operate independently from the party's political structures, including the leader's office. Four former officials chose to talk publicly despite having signed non-disclosure agreements, NDAs, with Labour not to discuss any aspects of their work for the party. The party has insisted claims aired by BBC Panorama were inaccurate and made by made by disaffected former staff. In a recent interview, Emily Thornbury told Andrew Marr, nobody can pretend there isn't a problem going on within Labour. But what should Labour do now? Well, we want to find out what you guys think. But first, Callum, what do you think from these options? So uh, the first option is nothing. Replace Corbyn as leader. Expel known offenders legal action against offenders and other? Um, I think that it's quite difficult to know what Labour should do next, to be honest with you. Um, but to talk through some of the options sort of thing. And uh, so, so firstly, nothing obviously is completely not an option. Uh, I mean, it would be a complete uh, miscarriage of the kind of justice that the Labour seeks uh, to uh, provide as an anti-racist party. So it's, to do nothing would be to effectively say that it's OK for anti-Semitism to go on within the Labour movement, which obviously I don't think anyone wants uh, to, to do that, to be fair. Uh, replacing Corbyn as leader, I think, would be a cosmetic change rather than actually um, tackle this epidemic more root and stem. Uh, I think that Corbyn has ushered in uh, a more vocal level of anti-Semitism within the Labour movement um, because the more far or the further left elements of the Labour movement tend to be more anti-Semitic because they're more strongly uh, pro-Palestine to the point where they don't necessarily believe in a two-state solution in the uh, Israel-Palestine conflict. Mm. Um, but I think ultimately replacing Corbyn as leader, though, would would do go some way to solving these things, but it would probably just mean that they're swept under the rug a bit more rather than actually tackling them and, and kind of giving them... Um, daylight the, these kind of views so that we can expose them f- for for what they are and uh, kind of completely un- ungrounded views that normally involve on con- involve conspiracy theories and things like this um so i think based upon that the best action that labor can take now is expel known offenders um 
which is easier said than done, obviously, because um, it, it sometimes can be hard to to decide what constitutes anti-Semitism. Uh, but I think the, that should be the action they're taking in expelling the offenders. But I think they also have to be frank about the fact that anti-Semitism in the modern age has changed slightly. Um, I, I, it's not the kind of really clear anti-Semitism that it, it was in the past. I think nowadays anti-Semitism is, is normally anti-Zionism um, and it has kind of three main components. So usually anti-Zionists would argue for some kind of political program to abolish the Jewish homeland uh, and create no other homeland for them. Um, they spread a kind of discourse that seeks to demonize uh, Israel as evil and, and Nazi. And, and also, um, they want to create a kind of global movement that makes Israel a global pariah state as well, and mm. kind of um, makes them easier to be got rid of because they're very a very isolated state is is what the movement wants. And and I think if if anyone within the labour movement is the, expressing these kind of views, so wanting to abolish Jewish homeland, uh, demonising it as evil. Uh, or trying to make it a pariah state, then I think then these kind of people should be kicked out of the labour movement completely. Um, and so I think there needs to be an acceptance from labour, but also from the wider world that actually the nature of anti-Semitism has changed now. Um, and based upon that, then they can seek to actually hopefully get rid of this epidemic or at least... Uh, make it so that it doesn't look like they're complicit with, with it and accepting uh, of these kind of views being expressed. What do you think, George? Well, um, I must say that as much as um, I say this a lot when we do talk about this subject, I, um, I'm appalled that we have to even have this conversation about um, a political party and a political party that is the second biggest party in parliament. Um, and when I was watching the, the uh, Panorama show, I was honestly um, gobsmacked. I really, really was. And I, I couldn't believe what I was hearing and what I was um, seeing. And as much as I did believe that there were elements of the Labour Party um, that were um, anti-Semitic, but I, I didn't realise how large the problem actually was and as much as i think jeremy corbyn um he i think there are elements that have he has tried to kind of um stop it in terms of he has talked about it but i think behind closed doors obviously there hasn't been an, there hasn't been enough um that has gone on and i think it is appalling to be honest with you um and i think jeremy corbyn should absolutely hang his head in shame and i think it's awful as well that the labor party tweeted out saying that they don't um all of these are practically lies of what's gone on because they're the, these accusations are made from disaffected staff and i and i just think that is so appalling you know wh why couldn't they have sent out a tweet saying we've seen the panorama um, tv show we will take what's gone on on board and we we will investigate it where necessary yeah. um but i so for me, out of those options, I think doing nothing would be the end of the Labour Party. And I think we would see many, many, many Labour MPs leave the party. Um, 
And I, so I personally think I'm kind of on the same level as you, Callum, in terms that I think um, we've got they've they've got to kind of look at who is the figurehead of this this drive, and it is Jeremy Corbyn. Um, and a lot of people will vote on or support a party on its face value. And currently, Jeremy Corbyn's face value is anti-Semitism at the moment. There is a lot of anti-Semitism um, being rushed around the media with Jeremy Corbyn's head above the, the, the headline. Um, so I think for the Labour Party to recover and for the Labour Party to truly try and start to stamp out anti-Semitism, they've got to replace Corbyn as leader. Um, and I truly, the second... My second option would be to take legal action against those offenders within the Labour Party, whether it's um, MPs or senior uh, officials in the party or even just members, um, because it shouldn't be right and it should be stamped out. Yeah. Um, so I think even though it will be hard, I do believe that it should be a incredibly big investigation in this to see where it's gone on. Um, and what also does upset me, I suppose, is it, I'm, a, I'm sad how many Labour MPs that disagree with what's going on or, or, or have actually shouted about it haven't left the party to make an impact. Um, and, I, and I don't know about that. Do, do you think that, that those that are calling it out to truly make a stand, should they leave the Labour Party? Uh, I think it's a very difficult decision to be made. Mm. Um, but, but I think... Um, it comes to a point when you feel a movement can no longer be saved um, or, or rather you don't wish to reward that movement and seek to legitimize yeah. that movement. Yeah. So, so I think by, by s staying within the party, you could argue they do legitimize these views partly. Um, but also I, I do also understand that um, when these voices are gone, these more um, sensible voices uh uh, and these more pragmatic voices, when, when they're gone from the party, then that also then means that that movement is lost forever too. Um, mm. because, because then those that seek to spread anti-Semitic hate will have effectively won as well. So I think it's a very, very difficult decision to be made. I just want to kind of go back to, so so your main solution is, is to replace Corbyn as leaders. That's correct, yes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, do, do you not think there's a risk, though, that, that if Labour were to replace Corbyn as leader without doing any, anything else, say that's the first action they do, do you think there's not a risk that they will just end up voting in? Because there are a large number of Labour members who, who don't think there's an anti-Semitism problem at all, yeah. um, that they will end up voting in a candidate who agrees with that viewpoint who but maybe he's not anti-Semitic himself or herself, um, but they legitimise this anti-Semitism by, by effectively dismissing it and saying that it's not happening. Do you not think that realistically, by getting rid of Corbyn, all you're doing is effectively cutting the head off of a worm and that anti-Semitism is still going to live on? Um, I think there is always the risk of that, absolutely, um, and it's a fair point you make. But essentially, what I think would happen, or what I would like to see is happen, is if they got rid of Corbyn, then they would be able to um, re-establish a leader um, that would take a take the party 
away from anti-Semitism and start drawing the lines around it. And, and, and I hope that there would be those members, the Labour members, that would um, actually vote for the person that wants to get away from anti-Semitism and, and stop anti-Semitism within the party. And I think if Jeremy Corbyn stepped down, the Labour Party themselves would see an increase in membership from those that are more Blairites. And, and I think because of that, you would potentially see um, the far left side of Labour slowly disappear. Um, and that's what I would hope to see. But uh, I do, I don't, think that it's, that's the only way you can solve this um, problem yeah. because it is a massive problem and you're very right in saying that you know this is something that's going to take a very very long time and if you just get rid of Corbyn you're essentially not really doing anything you're just shutting the door on it and it will just fester inside and there'll be and someone else to, to replace Corbyn um, but do, do you think Callum that anti-semitism will ever be um, eradicated from the Labour Party? Um, no, uh, I, don't, I don't think you can ever completely get rid of anti-Semitism from, from the Labour Party. To the same extent, do, uh, realistically, you can't get rid of it from the Conservatives, you can't get rid of it from Lib Dems, you can't get rid of it from society as a whole. Yeah. Um, I think you can get quicker at stamping it out when you realise it's there. Um but they, they, it's always people that are hiding below the surface and, and are unseen sort of thing and don't then get action taken against them, realistically. And quickly, Callum, which one of these options do you think is going to come out on top? Uh, expel known offenders, I think, will come out on top. Okay. What about you? Um, I think it will be... I'm going to go for replace uh, Corbyn as leader interesting yeah so i uh, remember everybody to vote on this question what should labor's next action be to tackle its perceived anti-semitism epidemic and remember the options are nothing replace corbyn as leader expel known offenders legal action against offenders or other and we'll be back after this song break <laughs> And welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, what should Labour's next action be to tackle its perceived anti-Semitism epidemic? And as always, you guys have been voting away. So let's look at the results. Um, so replace Jeremy Corbyn as leader, got 16%. Expel known offenders, got 19%. Legal action against offenders, got 24%. All of the above, which is an option I forgot to read out, and I do apologise, everyone, um, got 37%. Nothing got one percent which i'm pleased to see and other got three percent so Callum, what are your thoughts on that yeah i mean it's it's um yeah i mean we both forgot that option didn't we so i mean uh it's unsurprising that obviously that comes out on top but it is it is good to see that people aren't just thinking that replacing corbyn as leaders is going to you know, solve this. They're not just thinking actually expelling known offenders is going to do this. We we do know it's, it's a whole range of measures yeah. that is going to actually um, tackle this kind of institutional yeah. anti-Semitism that we see within the Labour Party. I find it quite interesting that um, legal action against offenders is quite high on 24%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I uh, perhaps it's a discussion for another time, but I would want to see... Um, how how that is is possible in terms of legal action um mm. 
but as I said, probably a discussion for another time. Yeah. Right then, time to move on to our fourth and final discussion of this evening. And we are asking, what's better, pub, nightclub, or neighbor? So it's the ultimate night out question. A few chill and sociable drinks down your local or a big boogie down your nearest nightclub. <laughs> George, what's your preference? Pub, nightclub or neither? Um, neither. No, I'm joking. Uh, I, well, honestly, it depends what mood I'm in. Um, if I'm with probably quite a, a large group of friends... Um, and yes, everyone, I do have more than two friends. Um, <laughs> I I would be like, yeah, let's go out to the nightclub. If I know it's going to be busy, if I know it's going to be good, then yeah, absolutely. Let's go to the nightclub. I am one of the first to be on the dance floor, um, showing my moves. And, and I think I love a nightclub. But if I want quite a chilled evening, the sun is nice, I'll go down the pub, have a nice beer, chat, relax. Um, so so I, I think it's either or. I, I'm going to sit on the fence here. I'm going to be a classic Lib Dem um, right. and, and not commit myself to either. Um, but what what are you, Callum? Are you a, a, I mean, I know you're a boogier. Not a very good boogier, but you're a boogier <laughs> in the nightclub. <laughs> uh, I, I do like a boogie. Guilty as charged on that. Um, but um, I, I think ultimately I do prefer going to the pub because I, I think it's a much more sociable thing and you get to have a, a bit of a chat and a catch up with with mm. your friends and, and things like this i mean I, I do enjoy the nightclub um and i do i do enjoy going out as as you say george for for a bit of a dance and you know have a few drinks and things like this but i i, I mean, just think it's unrivaled the pub in terms of the more social experience it brings I mean, let's let's be honest. If if we go out, Callum, it would it we it would be normally a a pub to have that chat, and then when it gets a little bit later, we will go down a nightclub to have a bit of a boogie. So we we kind of do a bit of both, don't we? Yes, yeah. Although I think it's it's different when you go to the pub with the expectation of going to a nightclub after. I think you yeah. it it's less of a sociable experience then, and that, unfortunately, it becomes more about um drinking and things like that well um, as we both know callum i don't drink <clears throat> <laughs> not very much to be fair anymore george not very <laughs> much right then we've reached time to go on to our final song break of this evening don't, but don't forget to vote on this poll what's better pub nightclub or neither and you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen and we'll be back very soon <laughs> Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we asked the question, what's better, pub, nightclub or other? So you guys have been voting away. So 68% of you said the pub slash bar is the best. 17% uh, of you said nightclub is. And 15% of you said other or neither uh, is the best. So George, is there any surprises there? I mean, that's very high for pub slash bars, isn't yeah. it? We've obviously got very civilised listeners that are... are are very very good and don't don't go out in the nightclub on the night scene but i mean i congratulate them and can i can i also just say that when, before the break when callum said um that i don't drink that much anymore i was never like a alcoholic or anything 
But I'm not on like a recovery. I, I was just a social drinker. Yes, yes, of, of of course, George. Of course, I wouldn't wouldn't want to imply anything else. Yes, um, but no. I mean, I think obviously that result is just a testament to the fact that, uh, as you as we were saying, George, that it's just a more social experience. I think the pub or bar, you know. Yeah, it is. Mm. Right then, we've reached the time to end this evening's show. So thanks very much for listening to To Be Discussed with Cup and Gur. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. As mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like to hear your thoughts on the question. Are societal expectations around relationships still too patriarchal? You can do that by sending us an email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at wizradio. So remember, the question is, are societal expectations around relationships still too patriarchal? And we're really looking forward to hearing your opinions next week. But for now, it is time for Karen and I to be leaving. So I have been the boogieing George Lawrence Cup. And I have been the Strictly Come Dancing Callum Gurr. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week for another episode of To Be Discussed. Goodbye, guys. Ciao for now. <laughs>